0: a new church in Metamora and uh, cross point community church is a uh, generous supporter of the work that we're doing. And so it is an honor to be here this morning. Um, want to give a shout out. Audrey cam is here. Her husband, Andrew is busy with, uh, Metamora baseball league. Supervising, uh, this morning, but, but Andrew and Audrey are, are members here at cross And, uh, and Crosspoint sending them to to help us plant in Metamora as well. So very uh, honored and grateful to be here today. Uh, And just uh, another quick, quick deal today is actually today at four o'clock is uh, the first launch team meeting for our uh, new church plant. So today is a big day. Crosspoint's a piece of that. And so just want to thank you all for that. Uh, our text this morning, which was read earlier, is out of Luke chapter 10, and it addresses a question that many of us wrestle with, whether we're Christians or we're not yet Christians. It's, it's the question of whether or not our life will, can, can really make a difference. Can I really make a difference? We see people hurting in our lives. We see people struggling. We see Uh, confusion and conflict. We see people lost and vulnerable, and we wonder, is there anything that I can actually do about uh, the brokenness and confusion and lostness and conflict and hurt, or is it just so hopeless that I should just resign to the belief that this is just the way it is and that I need to just get used to it? It's easy to believe that the problems in this world are so big and that people's struggles are, are so much, that there's nothing I can do about it. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives us a vision for the kind of difference that your life can make, that my life can make. See, what may look hopeless to us actually looks like a harvest field to Jesus. As Christians, we don't believe that the world is hopeless and that things just are the way they are and there's nothing we can do about it. We don't believe that the problems of this world are just too much. We don't believe that people's struggles are hopeless. No, on the contrary, we believe that God's come to us in Jesus Christ. We believe that through Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself. We as Christians have a great hope for the world. We actually believe that that the world isn't going to hell, but rather heaven is, is coming to earth. That's what our vision for the world is, is that one day heaven will come to earth. And see, in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives us his vision for the world. I pray that we get it. I pray that we get Jesus's vision. Jesus sees the world as a plentiful harvest field. I probably don't need to tell you here at Cross Point Church surrounded by c- cornfields, but, but for Jesus to say the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, Jesus is saying that the crops are ripe, that it was a good year. It's a good year. It's time to celebrate. There's reason for great hope. There's reason for great rejoicing. The crops are here, and they're ready to be gathered in. But there's a problem, though, that Jesus points out. He says more laborers are needed. The harvest is so great that we don't have enough laborers for it. Harvest season's a lot of work, and Jesus says the harvest field of the world is so great that many more laborers are needed. Oftentimes I hear Christians, and I even think to myself, about how the problem of a perceived uh, lack of people coming to Christ or uh, perceived lack of the kingdom of God expanding and advancing is with them. The problem is with them. People just don't care. People don't want to hear the gospel. People aren't open to the gospel. The problem is with the harvest. It's a bad harvest. There's no harvest to gather in. And there's truth to that. I've shared the gospel with lots and lots of people who were uninterested. Uh, I myself, uh, for 22 years of my life, was uninterested in the gospel. All right? uh, I was indifferent. I was apathetic. And so there's truth to that, but, but in this text, Jesus says that the need or lack isn't with the harvest, the need or the lack is with the laborers. The, the harvest is plentiful, the harvest isn't the problem, the laborers are, 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 are the issue, the laborers are too few. I came face to face with this need for more laborers back in 2021, right, uh, Right in the back of this room, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of a church planting network that Crosspoint is also a part of. We're very informal. We call ourselves the Central Illinois Church Planting Network, and you've never heard of us. Uh, uh, I, 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 that might be the first time I've ever actually said the name of what we call ourselves, but that's what we call ourselves. And in, in, in 2021, I was sitting in the back of the room. We get together every six weeks. Uh, right here at Crosspoint. And, uh, every so, and w- what we're doing is we're praying and we're partnering together to see more gospel-centered churches planted in central Illinois. And every so often we have these meetings and it's like, okay, uh, does anyone have a place they want to see a church planted? And, and that day was one of those days. Does anyone have a place that the Lord's laid on their hearts? And everyone had a place. Everyone had a place. Except for me, I, I was just kind of listening, and I, I was, you know, I was in Bloomington Normal at the time, and, and uh, I'm, I'm into church planting, but I didn't have a particular burden for small-town church planting, but a lot of these guys were my friends, and they knew that I was into church planting, and so they invited me to be a part of the group, but I didn't have a place. They all had a place, and so they start naming all these places, and I'm just like, whoa, that's a lot of places. I've never even heard of some of those places. Where is that place? And it's like 30 minutes away from Bloomington. And I'm like, why have I never heard of that place? That place needs a church and that place needs a church and that place needs a church. And they're like, yeah, John, this is what we've been gathering together for six years. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, they're like, welcome to the, welcome to the party, pal. And, uh, and so then they're like, well, who's got a guy? Does anyone have a guy? Does anyone have a planter? And so we just I mean it was like this, right? No one had a guy. And so we left there and I just had this, this fresh burden on my heart and went and talked to my elders and said, guys, like there's there's places 30 minutes from us that need that need churches and, and, and we're a church planting church. Caris uh, Karis Community Church is a church planting church. We're we're about church planting. So I'm like, we need to start looking at we need to start looking at, at these small communities around us and and, and so uh, what I left that meeting was, man, there is gospel opportunity all around us. There is, a, I mean, it was Luke 10. I, I, I saw the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. Just a, a, a quick stat for Metamora. Um, you know, there's, there's 3,875 people in Metamora and there's 3,401 people in Germantown Hills. You know how many churches there are in Metamora? For 3,875 people, there's four Protestant churches. That's not many churches. And if you combine it with Germantown Hills, there's five churches in Germantown Hills. So there's nine churches for 7,200 people. More, More churches, more... More churches are needed. When people think of church planting, they're, they're like me a lot of times. They often overlook small towns for a variety of reasons. So many church planting groups and organizations don't even give consideration to small towns. And so this only heightens the urgency. Small town churches are probably going to need to be planted by other small town churches, which is why I love the vision for our little church planting network that meets here at, at Cross Point in 2016, I don't even know if you guys knew that. I, I don't know how, how, how much uh, Pastor Dave shares, but in 2016, our group met here for the first time. Actually, we met in Gridley the first time uh, that we got together at Christ Community Church. But we get, we met together in 2016, and it was one of those who's, who's got a who's got a place that the Lord's laid on their heart, and everyone had places. Who's got a guy? No one's got guys, and it's like, all right, what do we do? We pray. Let's just, let's just get together every six weeks and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, and do you know that since 2016, since we began to pray for more gospel-centered churches to be planted, we've seen three churches in central Illinois get planted, one in Flanagan, one in Chenoa, one in Minook. You guys know about the one in Minook. Intimately, that's Pastor Eric was sent out to plant that one, and so we'll be the fourth church since 2016 since we started praying to the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers. We'll be the fourth church uh, that's planted in Central Illinois. That's amazing. Somebody should just be like, "Man, that's awesome!" (laughs) And what I love about that group is all we did was pray. We we didn't we've got no resources. We got no guys. We see a need. And, and we just began to pray, and the Lord began to answer our prayers. And it's an honor to get to be a part of that. This, there's a movement of God happening in central Illinois that you're all a part of and that, that I get to be a part of. <laughs> Church planting, though, isn't the only way to labor and to make a difference for the kingdom of God. There's an urgent need. There's an urgent need for parents who know Jesus to disciple their kids, and teach their kids how to pray, and teach their kids how to read the scriptures. There's an urgent need for Christians to know their neighbors, and to pray for their neighbors, and to be hospitable to their neighbors, and to share the gospel and the hope of Jesus with them. There's an urgent need for Christians to labor for the sake of Jesus in all the different spheres of life. Uh, uh, Pastor and author Aaron Morrow, in his book Small Town Mission, he said this, small towns are in desperate need of missionaries. Say it again. Small towns are in desperate need of missionaries. When I say missionaries, I'm not referring to the pastor of your church or people who suffer for Jesus by building huts and preaching to native islanders. No, I'm referring to regular people. Small towns desperately need normal, everyday people like farmers Factory workers, teachers, secretaries, and small business owners who think and act like missionaries to reach their friends, their neighbors, their co workers, and extended families for Christ. See, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful. And nobody knows the harvest better than Jesus because Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. I'm not the Lord of the harvest, I don't make judgments on the harvest. Neither do you. Do you know who judges whether it's a good harvest or not? The, the one who's the Lord of the harvest. And the Lord of the harvest said it's plentiful. There's opportunity. Let, let, let's pray for laborers. And so, and so the Lord laid this burden on my heart to maybe, maybe the Lord's calling me to plant again, right? I, I, I planted uh, charis when I was 30. Now I'm, at that time I was 45, I'm like, man, planting seems like a young man's game. Am I too old? <laughs> and, uh, and just began to think through logistically what that might look like, talked to my wife. Uh, we began to pray about it and think through this. And, uh, and, and we came to the conclusion that, yeah, the Lord's calling us to plant again, but, but where? Where should we plant? There's, there's a lot of these little towns. Everyone's got a place. We're, we're, what, what, what town should we plant in? And so we began to think, okay, who do we know? Who do we know where? Do we know anybody? And, uh, and I'd known Andrew Cam for uh, over a decade, and I knew Andrew was in Metamora. And so I, I said, man, I'm, I'm going to grab lunch with Andrew. And so I met, met with Andrew at Rosie's in Bloomington, and I said, Andrew, this is what Beth and I are praying about. Uh, what do you think about Metamora? Is that, I mean, that's, that fits in the 60-mile radius of Bloomington Normal that we're looking at. What, what do you think about that? And do you know what Andrew said to me? He said, John, Audrey and I, Audrey's his wife, we've been praying for three years for a, the Lord to send a church planter to Metamora. You know what they'd been doing? Luke 10. They'd been praying to the Lord of the harvest to send, to send laborers. And, and the Lord answered their prayer. And, and in fact, Andrew told me that day, he said... Um, Andrew and Audrey had been members at a church in Peoria, and Andrew had been an elder there. And he said, John, last week, Audrey and I resigned our membership at the church in Peoria. I I stepped down as an elder because I can't be pastoring people in Peoria and be on mission in Metamora at the same time. And so one week, they decided we're going all in for Metamora here. We want to reach our friends in Metamora. And then the next week, I say, hey, Tell me about metamore. I'm thinking about planting a church. That, that, that's remarkable. That's not a coincidence. But just because the, the harvest field is plentiful, that doesn't mean it isn't dangerous. That doesn't mean it isn't dangerous. It doesn't mean there's not risk of loss or a cost. Jesus said in verse 3, he said, Behold, I'm... This is what he said to the disciples. He said, uh, Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The harvest field is plentiful, but it's dangerous. There's wolves seeking to devour the laboring lambs. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the the schemes of the devil. You guys know the devil's scheming against us for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It would be much easier if we just had humans. If if, if flesh and blood was our enemy, that would be much easier. That's not, that's not the case. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there's spiritual forces of darkness at work, seeking to deceive and to discourage those who are sent out by Jesus into the harvest field. They deceive us into believing wrong things about God, about ourselves, and about other people, which in turn discourage us from laboring for the sake of Christ. Two main ways the powers and principalities deceive and discourage you and I is through A, the fear of man, and B, the fear of failure. The fear of man and fear of failure are powerful in our lives. Fear of man's when we imagine people being bigger than what they really are, and God being smaller and less powerful than what he really is. And so we make people really big, and we make God smaller. And we start feeling uh, fearing man more than we fear God. We, we say and do things for the sake of making people accept us, rather than saying and doing things for the sake of Jesus. Way too often I care more about people respecting me and esteeming me and accepting me than I do about whether or not they know Jesus and whether Jesus wants me to be a part of them getting to know him. Fear of man discourages us from laboring in God's harvest field. And one of the other main ways that we're deceived and discouraged is through the fear of failure, We fear that if we attempt something for the sake of Jesus, that we'll fail, that we'll do it wrong, that we'll end up messing it up and and we'll look foolish, which then plays into our fear of man. The fear of man, the fear of failure and rejection are powerful things that Satan and the powers of darkness play to in order to deceive and discourage us from laboring for God, to make us think that the risk of failure of being rejected or looking foolish is not worth the reward of obedience to Jesus and helping people to know him. Listen, whenever we, we set out to labor for the sake of Christ, whenever you, you, you get a vision, uh, when, you, when you get Jesus's vision that there's gospel opportunity for you, and you begin to pray towards that, and you begin to move towards that, our great enemy is there waiting for us to deceive and discourage. Jesus is sending us out as lambs among, lo- uh, among wolves. Lambs among wolves. Lamb or wolf, that doesn't sound like a fair fight. Like how in the world could Jesus send us out as lambs among wolves? Well, Jesus sends us out into his harvest field filled with dangerous wolves with two things to protect us that this, this passage tells us about. Spiritual authority, and indestructible joy. Spiritual authority, it says in verse 17, uh, the 72 returned, the 72 disciples returned with joy, saying, listen to their testimony. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So you can imagine how these 72 went out as lambs in the midst of wolves, not sure how this is going to turn out, but they trusted Jesus and did what he commanded them, and they did it. They, they, They did it. They witnessed the kingdom of God pushing back the kingdom of darkness through their words and works. Jesus had given them authority and protection from the evil one. Jesus has sent us out with the same kind of authority and protection for the mission that he sent us on. He says in Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission, says, Jesus came to the disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is the one with all authority. And, he, and with that authority, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and, and behold, I, the one with all authority and with you always to the end of the age. So brothers and sisters, when we come face to face with the wolves, with the fear of man, with the fear of failure, we need to remember that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Brothers and sisters, are, are you waging war? Do you know? Do you know that you're you're in a battle, that you're waging war? Praise God for the prayers that were prayed today for VBS, because there's going to be a war going on this week. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You have weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so we battle the lies of Satan with the truth of Christ. We battle the lies of Satan with the word of Christ. I'll offer one real practical way to you to battle the lies of Satan with gospel truth. Just to, to just simply write out whatever it is that's discouraging you, that's keeping, that, that's, that's making you anxious, that whatever you're afraid of, just, just write it down. Write it down in a journal. Write it down on a piece of paper. Write it down on a note card. Get it out of your head and, 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 and face it. Put it down. I think I'm a loser. I don't think I have what it takes. I don't think anyone's going to listen to me. You know, just write it down in all of its rawness and its humiliation, and just write it down, and, and then apply the uh, of what you know about God and what you know about what God says about who you are, and, and apply it to that lie, right? That, that, that is doing battle. That is waging war, and that is that is exercising spiritual authority over the spiritual forces of darkness that want to hinder you from laboring for the kingdom of God. That's just one way we can exercise the spiritual authority that Jesus has given us to make a gospel impact in the world. Besides spiritual authority, though, Jesus has given us one other resource to protect and embolden us to make a gospel difference. Here's here's the, the other one, indestructible joy we see the disciples come back after witnessing the kingdom of God breaking in through their ministry, and they had to be overwhelmed with excitement. Can you imagine the mountaintop experience that these 72 followers of Jesus must have had? Uh, All the stories that they must have been sharing. What joy they must have felt. And yet Jesus says it's nothing compared to a greater joy. Jesus says to the disciples, yeah, you're right. I, I saw Satan. I... Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Nevertheless, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in your successful ministry. Don't rejoice in pushing back the darkness and and seeing that. He says, don't rejoice in that. What? What? that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in that. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. Let that capture your imagination. God knows your name. God wrote your name in heaven. Your works, your ministry, your success just isn't enough to sustain joy. Don't find your ultimate joy in what you are doing for God. Find your ultimate joy in what God has done for you. Your joy and hope will come and go when you're looking to your works it'll come and go. You'll feel depressed and anxious and condemned as often as you feel joyful and hopeful when you're looking to what you're doing. Amen? I know that. But when you look to Christ's work, when you take your eyes off of everything that you're doing and you look to what Christ has done and what Christ is doing, what Christ has promised to do, that's a different story. Christ's work of living a perfectly righteous life, dying a sacrificial death, being raised up in power from the grave, making you forever a part of God's family, forever forgiven, forever righteous, forever loved by God, forever saved, forever blessed, forever accepted. You are going to inherit a kingdom that will never be shaken, where you will reign with Christ. You will reign with Christ one day. Through all of, guys, we're all in for some failures. We're all in for things not going the way that we wanted them to go. Nevertheless, you're going to reign with Christ one day. Things aren't going to turn out the way you hoped you're going to reign with Christ one day. Man, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You're going to reign with Christ one day. What do you have to be afraid of? You're going to reign with Christ one day. Find your, Jesus says, don't rejoice in a good day. You're going to have those two. Things are going to turn out way better than you ever, ever thought they, they would. Jesus says, man, that, 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 that's a little taste. That's a little taste of what's coming. Rejoice in what's coming. Rejoice in who you are in Christ. That's something you can rejoice in today, tomorrow, and for eternity. It's, it's, what, it's an indestructible joy. So brothers and sisters, let's not believe the lie that God doesn't intend for us to make a difference in people's lives. Let's let's believe that there's a harvest field in Eureka, that there's a harvest field in Matamora, that there's a harvest field in central Illinois, that there's a harvest field in the world. And let's pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see opportunities before us to make a gospel impact in people's lives. And let's pray to the Lord to send more and more people to join us in making a gospel impact. And lastly, I just, I want to ask you, do you know the indestructible joy of Jesus? Do you, is your joy eternally secure? Or, Or is your joy fragile? Jesus, I want you to know Jesus isn't just for Eureka. He's not just for Metamora. He's not just for other people. Jesus is for you specifically. Jesus is for you. God loved you, and Jesus laid his life down for you that you might have indestructible joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. God, I pray for my friends that Lord, they all they've got is, is, is their, own, their own life to try to find their joy in. They're look into their life and their joy ebbs and flows. God, I pray that you would lift their eyes up off of their life and look to the life of Christ, the death of Christ for them. God, that their joy might uh, be turned from uh, fleeting to indestructible by having their sins forgiven through Jesus, by receiving his life for theirs. And God, I pray for my friends uh, my brothers and sisters to, um, Lord, have a, have a vision to see what you see. God, help us see what you see and fill us with your joy, and with your spirit to pray and to go. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Deuteronomy uh, 6, 5 through 7 says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk to them about talk to them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are going getting up. Father, that is our prayer today. That is our prayer this week. Uh, Lord, enable us to Uh, talk about you, to spread the gospel to all the children this week. I pray that you will um, give us joy as we do that. I pray that we will walk in the Spirit um, as as we learn today about um, spiritual warfare is real. And Lord, I pray that that we will put on the armor of God and we will walk in the Spirit. I pray for your spiritual protection over uh, the church and the families and the children this week. And I just pray that you will be um, just be active this week. Uh, Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your words, your message. um, And I pray that you bless everyone as they leave here today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.